The call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's roll, boys. Come on, let's get going. We are kicking. Here we go. Oh, guys, five minutes each for fighting. Watch the blue. Play the puck. Run to it. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Yeah, baby. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. Okay, gentlemen, play ball. Let's go. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. Am I wrong? But was this a particularly busy week with hockey stuff, Josh? It seems to me that it was. There was a lot happening this week. The whole season has felt busy so far and and often interesting, diverse. Uh, we've got a variety of things going on. And, it, you know, you find that rule that doesn't happen and then it happens twice in one week. And then you're left confused going, have I seen this before? Oh, yeah, two days ago. And it was a different call. It doesn't make sense. But, yes, there's been plenty of excitement going on in the NHL. And that's why we have the Scouting the Refs podcast. Please make sure you're following us on our social channels. You will find Josh on both X and Instagram at Scouting the Refs. For me, it's on X and Instagram at Todd Lewis Sports. On this week's episode, player safety hearings, suspensions, a coach tossed, Rooney's advice, Milano gets handsy, 12 minutes for mouthing off, broken stick, no kick, is it or isn't a penalty, and the fans have a costly penalty. That's the really unusual one, I think. You don't see that one every day. And on the rare, rare chance you do, and it has happened before, you don't want it to hurt the home team. Okay, we're saving that one for the end. But let's also mention that player agent Alan Walsh, who has a podcast, Agent Provocateur, and it's quite interesting if you haven't heard it before, also goes to great lengths to support his players, and he had some rather blunt assessments of NHL officiating that he posted on X. And I'll quote one of them. The biggest issue with NHL officiating, parentheses, besides competency, is their total lack of accountability. Gary has cracked down on coaches publicly criticizing the media can't interview them. Players complain about non-calls. Bad calls get 10-minute misconducts. It's ruining the game. I'd say that's rather pointed commentary. That's it's pretty direct. It's uh, a little rough. I mean, I, I know he's a player agent, so I know where he's coming from. He's, he's got to defend his guys. And sometimes your outburst or your response, whether it was a good call or bad call, is still deserving of a penalty. So, I, you know, I don't think we can say, well, that was a bad call. You can curse at the refs all you want because you can't just absolve them there. And, and I think there is. There's more accountability than people see. Just because you don't see it every day doesn't mean it's not happening. And fans like to feel that there isn't any because they don't see stuff. Well, certainly, you know, if, at your day job, if something goes wrong or something happens out there, you're not publicly shamed in front of everyone. And some of the criticism that they get behind the scenes needs to stay there because openly chastising officials isn't really going to help. It's not going to make anybody feel better. It might make them complain more when they get a guy that they know has been blasted for a, a missed or a bad call. And we have to accept that that's a human element of the game. That's part of it. People will make mistakes, but I think we have to remember there is accountability and there are not opportunities for every official to work the playoffs at, or advance in the playoffs. And, and yes, the, the postseason part is a huge part of it because you're getting financial bonus you're getting the, the just the accolades of being a playoff official and knowing what it means to be left out and that's based on your grades throughout the season your mid-season report card all of that so uh, when you say they're not accountable just because you don't see it doesn't mean they aren't being held accountable and and sometimes public comment after the game you think it might make a difference but I, i'm still not convinced that that would even solve it to make people happy 
I would agree with that. I think you'd get a lot of referee slash player cliches if you <laughs> you actually had the interviews. By the way, we have invited Alan Walsh to join us on the Scouting the Rest podcast, and hopefully that will happen at some oh, point. Oh, I'd love to love to chat with him and pick his brain. Yeah. Because, I mean, all the complaints are great. And believe me, as an official, you hear it from the fans, you hear it from all the folks out there, you hear it from players. But I love to talk about his thoughts on how do we get better? Where do we go yeah. from here? And and really, you know, let's break it apart. Let's dissect all those things. So I'd love to have him on and talk more about it. That's the goal is everybody wants to get better. Okay, let's get into some of the stuff that we saw this past week. Colorado Avalanche and the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, it was superstar Kale McCarr who was pursuing a puck. He gets shoved from behind from Sabres captain Kyle Opozo, crashes heavily, leaves the game for a while. He does, thankfully, come back. There was no call on the play, and that distressed a few members of the Avalanche. And in particular, it was Nathan McKinnon who had a lot to say to the officials, so much so that he got two minutes for unsportsmanlike and then got himself a 10-minute misconduct after that. Um, it, was, it was a lot of stuff here. I, I think it should have been a penalty, and I can understand why McKinnon was ticked off. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. It's a dangerous play, but I, I think it's incidental contact. If you want to call it a trip because of the contact or the shove there, is it boarding? Is it is it incidental? I mean, Okposo is really pulling up. He's not trying to drive the guy into the boards. I think if he follows through on the check, it, it's no brainer. Graham Skilleter is calling that a penalty for boarding, but I, I think it was uh, not intentional. However, it's a dangerous play when you go into the boards like that. And McKinnon wants to stick up for his guy. McKinnon's not checking the replay. He's not looking at anything. He sees what happens and he's voicing his displeasure to the officials. The hard part, Todd, is we don't know what was being said out there because obviously he's a guy I think that has a, a decent amount of respect. And uh, the broadcasters were funny saying, you know, he has he has earned the right to speak this way to the officials. It, I don't know which way he was speaking. I don't know exactly <laughs> what he was saying, but you know, you you get rung up for the 10, which is un, not uncommon when you have that happen and you want to give the guy a chance to cool off, but you don't want to put his team shorthanded. He gets too intense. So you end up with a shorthanded situation and you're gone for half of the next period of play. It's it's sending a firm message. So whatever McKinnon said, and believe me, I'd, I'd love to hear from the officials what was shared out there on the ice because it had to be pretty strong. And, you know, you're showing him up in front of the the entire audience, everybody there, uh, pretty significant to draw two and ten. But I, I would say that uh, whatever it was, the officials felt he deserved it. And, and that's their right. And that's it. You don't you don't get those kind of penalties without crossing some sort of line. And everybody pretty much knows where those lines are. Uh, OK, we did have a suspension for Buffalo Sabres defenseman Connor Clifton. Two games. It was an illegal check to the head of New Jersey Devils captain Nico Heeshear. Heeshear collects a pass in the neutral zone and Clifton delivers a very high, very hard hit to the head of the Devils player. The referees ruled on the play. It was a match. They looked at it. They talked about it. They let it stand. And then the Department of Player Safety added a couple of games to the penalty. Seems like a pretty straightforward and easy decision here. Yeah, it's been funny to me that player safety, I don't, I don't want to say their job's an easy one, but they've had some hits that have been pretty easy rulings where we've seen a player have an opportunity to deliver a legal body check and fail to do so, where in this case, Clifton's picking the head there. And I think it was because he mistimed the hit. I think he sure pulls up a little bit, slows down. Clifton can't change his path. So instead of missing or instead of adjusting to try to hit the body, he just continued on the path he was going, which took him right through Heischer's head. So an unfortunate play, uh, a dangerous one where you see Heischer really take a shoulder to the face there and one that deserves a suspension. So, uh, you know, I, it was just a matter to me of how many games it was going to be. 
Yeah, and you're definitely getting a couple of games for for that kind of head contact. Moving to the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Anaheim Ducks. Anaheim scores a goal, but it is immediately waved off by referee Frederick Lecoulier. Anaheim coach Greg Cronin is apoplectic and challenges the call, and they review, they have a look at it, and the call is confirmed. Well, that just sort of lit the fuse on Cronin, who goes a little berserk with some graphic language for the official, and he gets rung up for unsportsmanlike and then continued because he got tossed from the game for actually disputing this call. Do you want to dive into the call first, or do you want to dive into the coach getting tossed first? Well, I think the coach getting tossed is the easy one, much like with McKinnon. It's what was being said out there and the fact that he persisted and persisted. And this is one of those situations where you have the call on the ice. They confirm the call on the ice. Uh, He's blasting the referee, but if the ref made the bad call, the situation room just confirmed it. So maybe he wants to get on the phone and start yelling at them a little bit. (laughs) I'd love to see that at some point, you know, I would love to see that his, uh, his anger was slightly misguided. And, and, you know, maybe at that point, you're really just trying to fire up your team. We've talked before about how plenty of coaches are smart enough to use that as a strategy to get their team fired up on what they thought was a, a tough situation or a pivotal moment. Maybe that's what the strategy was here, because to me, Todd, this was goaltender interference all day. And I was amazed at how many people were thinking that this should not be goaltender interference, that you you see the Ducks player, he goes into the crease, he establishes position at the top of the crease and the goal is scored, but he doesn't necessarily make contact with Jerry. Eric Carlson does. Now he's bumping Carlson and bumps Carlson into the goaltender. And that's where we get into the NHL rule book to try to figure out, well, how does this actually work here? And you look at rule 69, which tells you that an attacking player, if they impair the goaltender's ability to move freely within the crease, it's goaltender interference. Now, you might be looking at that and saying, well, the attacking player didn't. Well, no, because you still have that rationale that the player needs to move freely within the goal crease, and it's an attacking player, and just by being there, his presence can impair the goaltender's ability to defend his goal. The goal will be disallowed. You can argue that he is in the crease. You can argue that he may be preventing Jerry from doing his job. But I looked at this more simply from what's going on with Carlson. And that's when we get to the part of the rule that says, if a defending player has been pushed, shoved, or fouled so as to cause the defending player to come into contact with his own goalkeeper, that will be considered contact initiated by the attacking player. And if a goal scored, it will be disallowed. And to me, that's the simplest part of this whole rule because when you watch the play, Regardless of what the Ducks player is doing, you can see that he's contacting the defending player and he's pushing the defending player into his own goalie. Now, if Carlson doesn't go in there, is there goaltender interference? I'm not sure. Uh, There's a position established, but I don't know if it would be enough. Doesn't matter. Carlson's in there. He gets pushed into Jerry. And to me, that was the easiest way to really confirm that this was goaltender interference. I guess the difficulty is there is still a lot of unknown about this rule and, well, the rule book in general in some cases. But it it seems, as you've laid it out beautifully, it's very simple. Ducks player establishes position in there. It prevents the Carlson from moving, bumps his own goaltender, can't make the save. That means it's goaltender interference. Right. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to argue that Carlson wasn't a factor on this play, if he's not in the goal crease at all, and it's it's just the Ducks player in there, I think that becomes a tougher situation of, well, yes, he was in the crease. He's allowed to be in the crease. Did he impact Jerry? And in those situations where there is no contact, but the attacking player is present in the goal crease, 
that becomes a little bit more of a judgment call. That becomes, well, did he really affect the play? Was Jerry going to move in that direction? Did he have a claim to that spot in the blue paint? That's where I think the debate comes in. But once you've got physical contact and once you've got the defensing defensive player hitting his goaltender, I, I think it's it's this one's clear. This one's pretty clear cut. So yeah, there's there's lots of ways to go about it. Um, I don't think there's much debate though on this particular play. Oh, and it's it it seems pretty straightforward as again as you you've laid it out nicely and simply to understand. And I don't think Greg Cronin was really listening to the referee. <laughs> In this particular case, but there's been a lot of not really listening to the referees, but you know what, especially in the case of when he's talking to New Jersey's Kevin Ball during a game against the Buffalo Sabres, he's good advice that you should really be listening to. One over comes Johnson. You got the power play. You got the power play. Oh, no, 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 he was right there. He was right. Exactly the way he put it. You are indeed getting a power play. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and he's, he's emphatic and letting him know that you're getting a power play. So don't, don't take it away. This, this is what we talk about with community officials. There's a lot of it that takes place out in the ice. Yeah. Some folks surprisingly were uh, a bit offended by that, that exchange there about, you know, it's not professional for the official to be talking to a player that way. And I don't think it's unprofessional. I think this is what we hear on the ice. You hear it from the players towards the officials. You hear that. And you've got a guy, I mean, everybody's heated at that moment. You're trying to keep him out of trouble. And uh, ultimately, they they did end up with a three-minute power play because there was a penalty uh, that offset the major, and then they had a minor penalty there. So they ultimately did get a power play. But, man, they 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 may have been shorthanded if Rooney wasn't trying to keep Kevin Ball in line there. <laughs> All I'm trying to do is help. Okay. I, I did have a, a question about a, a game situation. I was going to mention it to you, but you had already put up a nice post about it. So let's, let's dive into the play by Sonny Milano of the Washington Capitals. Remarkable stick work with the puck that is flying up through the air. He collects it and then whacks it out of the air and and Marc-Andre Fleury has to be really sharp and makes a, a tremendous save there. But it got me and a lot of other people wondering, if the puck had gone in the net, would this have counted as a goal? And this one's uh, another one of those situations where you, you want to look at all facets of the play. I'll start with the easy part. After it's deflected down, it was a legal shot in. He bats it out of the air. The stick's below the crossbar. So the second part of this is absolutely a goal. There's really no issue with this part of the play when he swats at it. The problem is where he bats the puck down because at that point, you're looking at a play on the puck with the stick above shoulder height. And if it is above shoulder height, the referee needs to whistle the play dead. So trying to make that determination would be a challenge here. And, and it would be one of those things that the league can't even review this on their own. This is one that has to be reviewed as part of a coach's challenge. So a situation where you wouldn't have the NHL automatically taking a look at it unless a coach challenged. However, this was in the last minute of regulation. So in this case, oh the boy. automatic coach's challenge review would come into play and the league would take a look at it. So if you've kept up with all of that and how the coach's <laughs> challenge rule works, you'd have to make the determination on whether the stick was played above shoulder height for Milano, and it's not necessarily his shoulder height at this moment, but his normal shoulder height. Now you're trying to make that judgment call on what is Sonny Milano's shoulder height normally, and was the puck played above that normal shoulder height, and do we have a camera angle that shows it conclusively? And, and these, Todd, are, are where I really want us to have puck tracking to know what height the puck was deflected at. Without that, I, I guess I can say from a review standpoint, 
we're fortunate this one didn't go in. <laughs> <laughs> You're taking the words right out of my mouth about puck tracking. And the, especially with this, this whole NHL edge thing that they've just made a big deal about is you can learn all this stuff. So it's, it is available. Let's, let's just put it into, into views. I do have another question about the use of a stick though. And in particular, a broken stick from Leon Dreisaitl of the Edmonton Oilers. Now he didn't play the puck with his stick. He used his skate, but it's still a penalty apparently. It is absolutely still a penalty because he joined the play. And once you join the play with a broken stick, you need to drop it. And you could see he tried to take one swat at it with the broken stick. Then when the blade snapped off completely, he kicks it ahead. Sure, he's right near the bench. He's going off for a line change momentarily. But it's unfortunately for him, he's still playing. He's playing the puck. He's still engaged in the play. And you're not allowed to engage in play with a broken stick, regardless of whether you're using that stick or not. So for Dreisaitl, this was a, you know one of those moves that you make to try to keep the puck alive, keep things moving. But unfortunately for him, also clearly against the rules. All right. Uh, we had a much hyped rematch from last year's playoffs with the Florida Panthers and the Boston Bruins taking place last week. A lot of attention going into this game. And Charlie McAvoy got plenty of attention during the game because he laid a big hit on Florida's Oliver ekman Larson. OELs in front of the net. McAvoy came cruising through and delivered an illegal check to the head. Got a match penalty for the infraction. The next day, the Department of Player Safety said they'd like to have a chat and added four games to that penalty. McAvoy has appealed that four-game suspension in hopes of getting reduced, but I don't think it'll get reduced. And dare I say this, Josh, is the Department of Player Safety imposing some sort of consistency with these headshots because we saw this four game suspension happen once before it's i think they're off to a great start this season i am glad to see that similar hits are getting similar types of penalties here and, and similar suspensions so i thought four games was great i was hoping they would go there because i, I thought the anderson play was very similar uh, i think this one deserves four games now that four game threshold puts it right below what would go to an independent arbitrator for a, an appeal on this suspension, which means this is up to Gary Bettman. I don't see Bettman reducing this any number of games. I mean, by the time he does, it, the suspension may have been served, so it might just be a, a dollar's increase of getting some of that salary back. But I thought four games was the right call. I was really happy to see the Department of Player Safety issuing another four-game ban for a headshot. We went all last season. We had some illegal checks to the head. None of them picked up a four-game suspension as a result. So maybe we've uh, we've seen an adjustment on their part to tighten things up a little bit. and And maybe that's what we need to get these types of hits out of the game. I hope so. Four games is a good starting point there for, for me. Now, another Boston Bruin also got a lot of attention in a game against the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Brad Marchand, perhaps you've heard of him. He was pursuing <laughs> pursuing Timothy Lilgren uh, towards the puck. The two came together. Marchand's stick catches the foot of Lilgren and sends him hard into the boards, foot first. Play gets whistled down. They, they tend to Lilgren and... Marchand skates away. Everybody's favorite ref, Wes McCauley, has no call here. Apparently, after the game, it was explained to Maple Leafs coach Sheldon Keefe that he did not see the stick contact the foot. Lilligren is going to miss some time. I think it's a missed penalty, but I don't know that it's any more than that. I, I don't know. Is there going to be a fine coming? Right? I just I just don't see it as as more than that. It's a dirty play, is what it is. This is a tough one for me, and I you know I looked at it a bunch of different times, and you look at the different angles, and you see where the contact is made. And and to me, Todd, the hard part is if you watch Lilligren, he steps into Marshawn's path now. So you have two guys engaged in a battle for the puck, 
and you watch the Toronto player actually cut in front of Marshawn. So where we're looking at it right now, no contact has been made in the lower half of the body. You can see Liljegren pushing into Marshawn. So presumably angling him to hit him into the boards. There is no contact with the legs or feet at this point. You have two players engaged and Liljegren's coming in and the angle he cuts actually puts him in front of Marshawn. Marshawn's leg skates right into Liljegren's leg and you can see Marshawn's foot come off the ground. It's not Marshawn kicking it forward. It looks more like it's Liljegren pushing back on the knee, which causes the skate to come off the ground. So, boy, as, as much as it pains me to say this about the most suspended player in NHL history, I, I don't know that he was really doing anything dirty on this play. It, I mean, it's a, a dangerous trip into the boards, but given that the Toronto player steps in front of him, I, I'm not even sure I can argue with McCauley's non-call on this play. You've got two guys engaged. There's a physical battle. Unfortunately, based on how they were skating at the time, Marshawn's got the better leverage and wins the physical battle. So it's it's really a challenge because you look at this hit and you go, man, that's a, that's a dirty play, but it might not have been. I, and I, I think based on how the Toronto player moves in there, he's contributing to what happens. He tries to go for a hit. He's weak on his skates at that moment, and that's what's causing him to crash awkwardly. And when we look at the rule for slew footing, I want to say this this. If it's a dangerous trip, I could see that argument, but clearly we're not looking at a slew footing situation. He's not kicking his feet out. It doesn't seem like he's pulling backward with the stick on the upper body. So I can see folks trying to see that it, it might be a trip, but uh, it, this is not a slew foot. And I can see where Macaulay was and, and him not calling it that, you know, maybe there was some credence to that because it really looks like the Toronto players getting into the path of Brad Marchand. And just because it's Marchand, I can't I can't give him a penalty just for being Brad Marchand. Although some people would. But <laughs> I, 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 the, the part that gets me is it's accidental or not, his stick is contacting his foot and that sends him into the board. So it's it's murder or attempted murder. You're still responsible. Well, I, yeah, I think you've got, like I said, it's the battle there where I don't know if, uh, if you can't see it. And if we can't figure it out on infinite replays like you see Marshawn stick uh, at the moment it's frozen right now it's it's maybe making contact with the left skate there yeah but if it takes this much to dissect it and there the stick possibly lifting it up but we already have that leg on leg contact with Liljegren's right leg so is that stick movement the result of the contact or is that Marshawn lifting up and it's it's so hard to say. So uh, yeah, it's, it's not an enviable position to be a referee trying to make this call. But I, I best I can say is that if we can't figure out for sure that it is or isn't a penalty at this speed, it's, it's it feel like Macaulay's a little bit off the hook there for uh, not making the call in real time. It's uh, it's not as clear cut as it looked to me on initial viewing. Another one that was also a judgment call difficult to ascertain was in the Rangers and Hurricanes game with New York Ranger defenseman Adam Fox skating by Sebastian Ajo, and there is a knee-on-knee -knee collision. There's no call. Fox wanted a penalty on this. He he left the game. It's not blatant, but again, I, I could see if a penalty was called. I, I, I can almost get by with this, this going either way. There was no call, but if there was one, I'd be okay with that too. Yeah, I think this one deserved a call. Now, I'll, I'll say clearly to me, this is interference. There's no question that this is interference on the play. There's no need for this physical contact, whether it's intentional or not. Ajo's making a pick on a guy away from the puck, and I think... He gets beat there. I, I think he sticks his body out or he makes himself big in an attempt to run a pick. Uh, he did pick, obviously, because there was contact made. 
you've got a play where Fox is trying to avoid the contact. You can see he's, he's trying to move to his left there. Ajo's making himself big to try to make contact. And when it looks like there's a chance he's going to miss, he seems to expand out a little bit to try to catch him. And that's what we see with player safety many times is that they come down with a suspension where there was an opportunity to make a legal body check. And instead of hitting through the core, you hit through the head, or in this case, you hit through the knee there. So I, I, it's, it's a real tough one because it doesn't look like he puts his knee out to make contact. It looks like he's really just bracing to try to try to hit a pick and not let Fox get by, which to me is interference all day long, even if you're not going to hand out the, uh, the kneeing penalty on this hit. Okay, a couple games with similar plays but different calls once again. Columbus and Montreal, Jackets, Dmitry Voronkov, Habs, Arbor, Jackeye, toss punches. Voronkov's jersey wasn't tied down, but there is no penalty for that on this play. Yet, in the Anaheim Ducks and Arizona Arizona game, Sean Dersey throws down with Frank Vetrano, and Dersey winds up getting tossed out for having his jersey come up and not being tied down. Can you see a difference in these two particular situations, Josh? How come one's a penalty and one's not? Oh, Todd, you're not going to like this one. You are not of course, you're not, not going to like this one at all because it comes down to a technicality in the rule book that results in one being a penalty and one not being a penalty. So rule 4613 includes the jersey tie down caveat, which is that a, a player is expected to have his jerseys tied down. And if he engages in a fight and his jersey is removed, then he is picking up a game misconduct penalty. So... Brace yourself for this one because okay. Jersey's jersey comes completely off during the fight. So it's not tied down. It comes completely off of his body. So in that case, there's your game misconduct, which is being handed out by referee Kevin Pollock. In the previous case, when we saw the Columbus Montreal game, the jersey did not completely come off. It was up. It was loosened up, but it was not completely off the body. So with the jersey not fully removed. That doesn't make it apply under Rule 46.13. So in that case, you have a situation where it's not a game misconduct penalty. The jersey is off of his midsection there, but it's not completely removed. So he was able to avoid the game misconduct penalty that would otherwise be an automatic one. So yes, Todd, how much your jersey has come off directly relates. And it was referee Kevin Pollock in both games, in both situations. So I can't even complain that the refs were calling it different. It's it's the right call under the rule. It's a real minute difference. And Kevin Pollock's on board for both of them. So you've got the same guy with two fight strap situations in the matter of a week. What are the chances? Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Uh, kind of a wacky one to finishing things up. This was in the American Hockey League. It was the uh, Grand Rapids Griffins hosting uh, Cleveland. A lot of teams do fundraisers and charitable nights where you wind up tossing items onto the ice after a goal or at some other point. Now, the key point is after. It's teddy bear tosses and things like that that usually take place. Well, Griffins fans were tossing foam pucks, which had been purchased as part of a fundraiser. And the Griffs are staging a comeback and it got out of hand as the fans were tossing these pucks onto the ice and wound up taking a penalty that cost the team the game. Man. Josh, I know you have done extensive <laughs> research on this and shown that this kind of thing though rare, has happened previously. It has. And, you know, usually it's fans that are frustrated. We saw back in 2016, it happened in Philly. Flyers fans had bracelets that lit up. They got them before the game. Their team was getting shut out. So they're throwing the bracelets onto the ice. They issue a warning to fans. They throw even more because Philadelphia. So 
they issued a power play to the opposing team. I believe it was the Panthers in that one. The Flyers get shorthanded as a result of the fans. They were already getting shut out in that game. I believe it was a 3 nothing loss. This one's a lot different. You, you've got the Griffins rallying to tie the game. They scored two quick goals. They tie the game. It looks like it's going to overtime. It does end, end up going to overtime. But in celebration, you decide as a fan to throw these pucks, pucks that could have won you cash and prizes after the game, that you bought with your money, that you signed up with your name. Each puck is associated with a person because if you win the prize, they need to figure out who to give it to. So this puck that is associated to you, you are now throwing on the ice in celebration of your team tying the game. Backwards way to think, especially since I know the team announced that they have identified everyone who threw those pucks. So I'm sure they won't be welcomed back to the building. But needless to say, that, that penalty gets assessed to the fans. The team gets shorthanded. They give up the power play goal in overtime. And what a way to celebrate by costing your team the game. So even though it's a power play, I think the fans take the minus on that one. Good stuff, man. Way to work. Get in the box. Easy. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Email the show at ref at scoutingtherefs.com. Very good, my book. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. That's good play.